Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us, and happy Easter. After several months of studying Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Luke, we ended last week in chapter 20. In his final true parable of the book, Jesus told a story about a vineyard. The man who planted and owned the vineyard hired workers to tend it for him, but those workers rebelled. They beat the owner's messengers and eventually killed the owner's son in hopes of seizing the vineyard for themselves. Ultimately, that story previewed the end of Jesus's earthly life. The Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem rebel against God reject God's messengers, and on Good Friday, kill God's son. It seems like such a dark ending to a wonderful story about a promising young man. But thankfully, the darkness isn't the real end of the story. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of ours home. If you just forgot yours, feel free to use one of ours while you're here. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us. Thank you that you made us in your image. Thank you that you have sustained us and sustained the universe in ways that we can never even fully recognize. And thank you that you redeem sinners. We come here as people looking back on something that happened 2,000 years ago. Because we recognize that this isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is something that happened a long time ago and yet still means everything today. So Lord, as we look back and think about Friday, as we think about the quietness of Saturday, and we think about the victory of Sunday. Help us remember the redemption that you've provided for us in Christ. Help us live as resurrection people, not just people who look forward to new life at some point in the future, but people who can have new life right now in a very real way because of who you are and what you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. The story that we get to read year after year, day after day, that again, isn't just a story. Remind us of that today. Thank you for this church, these people, this time and this place. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. In Luke 21, Jesus makes several bold predictions on top of the ones he already had made. He speaks of the destruction of the temple, persecution for his disciples, and eventually his return as son of man in power and great glory. From there, Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples one final time. But instead of looking back to when God delivered the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt, Jesus looks forward to what's about to happen to him. 
namely his broken body and shed blood on the cross to save all who believe in him from slavery to sin. And then Peter, one of Jesus's closest and most outspoken followers, proclaims that he will gladly suffer with Jesus. He will happily die for Jesus. But Jesus tells Peter that he will deny him three times. The meal ends and Jesus leads the group to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we pick up in Luke 22, verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you were willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders, who had come out against him. Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This truly is an hour of darkness for Jesus. Just think about it. In a brief window of time, Jesus's closest followers sleep while he prays the most challenging prayer of his life. Another one of his followers leads the band to arrest him. And yes, like Jesus said in verses 54 through 62, Peter denies him three times. Of course, Jesus knew that all this darkness was coming. Why then didn't he fight? Why didn't he flee? Why would Jesus heal one of the very people who came to hurt him? Verse 42. This was God's will. And Jesus always obeys his father. Even in the hour of darkness. He's dragged before the religious leaders who... After all their failed attempts to trip him up, must relish the opportunity to abuse, interrogate, and falsely accuse Jesus. They drag him before Pilate, 
the local Roman ruler. Deep down, Pilate knows that Jesus doesn't deserve to die, but he lacks the resolve and he lacks the leverage to prevent it. Herod, the local Jewish ruler, isn't any help either. And when forced to choose, the religious leaders would prefer that Barabbas, a convicted murderer, go free instead of Jesus. Their bitterness, their hatred, their envy of Jesus has turned them into monsters. They simply could not accept Jesus' words about himself. In Luke twenty-two sixty-nine, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man who shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So by the time that Pilate is done with Jesus, the story has only gotten darker. But then just when you think things can't get any worse, it gets worse. It gets darker. Chapter 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. 
This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So as he dies, Jesus obeys God's will from his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. Even as he suffers at their hands, Jesus forgives his enemies. Even as he mounts a cross and not a throne, he promises a condemned man a place in his kingdom. Even as he undergoes perhaps the most excruciating form of execution ever devised by humanity, Jesus trusts God. In this hour of darkness, he still calls God Father. But as moving, as inspiring, as convicting as all of that may be, it appears to be for nothing. Jesus doesn't defend himself. No disciple, no religious leader, no ruler has a sudden change of heart. No angel swoops in to save the day. No prophet shows up to vindicate Jesus. A nameless Roman centurion says some nice words about Jesus. And a sympathetic religious leader gives him a decent burial. But it's all too little, too late. Jesus' enemies have won. Evil, injustice, and brutality have won. The hour of darkness has won. It's a terrible story, isn't it? Jesus Christ who almost everyone can admit was some sort of miracle worker, some sort of wise teacher, and a mostly positive moral example, is cut down in the prime of his life. And this all takes place after so many had benefited from Jesus' presence. So many had bought into all the hype. So many had put their most precious eggs in this basket, and they've all been let down. Some might even lay blame at Jesus' feet. He should have known better than to mislead those poor people by speaking of himself as the Messiah. Because let's be honest, all the evidence suggests otherwise. The Messiah... The chosen one of God who would deliver his people from oppression and reign victoriously over the world isn't supposed to die like a criminal alongside criminals. But as we mentioned at the beginning, the story isn't over yet. Darkness appears to have won the battle, but it would not win the war. The sun that stopped shining on Friday would rise again on Sunday. 
In Luke 24, a group of female disciples returns to Jesus' tomb only to find it mysteriously empty. Jesus' male disciples can't believe it. They dismiss the women's words about angels and a resurrection as nothing more than useless chatter. They chalk it up to women being women, you know, naive, unreliable, hysterical. But then two more downtrodden disciples encounter a man they've never met before on a journey out of town. This man argues that Jesus' disciples should have seen all this coming. After all, in his words, it was Necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And as they share a meal with the man, they recognize him as the risen Christ. Maybe those women weren't crazy after all. The rest of the disciples learn the same thing in Luke 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. But he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Darkness did not win. The story wasn't over. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. But even after all of that, the story still isn't over to this day. Luke keeps writing. In fact, he composes an entire second volume to the story, one that we call... The book of Acts. In Acts, we see Jesus ascend to the Father's right hand as he told the religious leaders he would. We see the once tired, treacherous, and cowardly disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit to powerfully continue Jesus' ministry and boldly fulfill the mission that he gave them. We see the Apostle Paul, a man who has his own run-in with the risen Christ on a road trip, Leave a life of persecuting Christians, having been called by God to tell the world the good news. But then even after the book of Acts, 
the story still isn't over. The book of Revelation tells us how the story will finally end. Jesus will return. Those who believe in him will be raised from the dead. Satan will be cast down. Sin will be eradicated. The world will be made new. We will dwell with God and God will dwell with us the way things were always meant to be. Not even chat GPT could come up with something this good. But here's the thing. As important and as worthwhile as it is to simply be reminded of the Easter story on Easter Sunday which is a novel idea, I know. I don't want you to leave this morning having just listened to a story. Rather than moving too quickly to egg hunts, family pictures before your kids get their clothes dirty, and eating ham, I want you to leave this morning discerning your place in this grand narrative. In some ways, the story is finished. The main victory, Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death for sinners, and victorious resurrection from the dead has already been accomplished. And as we mentioned from the book of Revelation, we know how the story will end. But in other ways, the story is still being written. In his wisdom, sovereignty, and providence, God already sees the whole symphony. But from our point of view, we're still learning where we sit in the orchestra. So then, ask yourself, what is your place in this story? What was your place when you got here this morning? Are you like the hard-hearted religious leader who's been resisting Jesus for quite some time now, has heard enough from this man for one day, and would now prefer to move on without him? Repent. Believe the good news. You can be forgiven of your deepest sins and your staunchest opposition to God. Are you like the desperate thief hanging on the cross with no way out of your predicament and nowhere else to turn? Repent. Believe the good news. You can be united to Christ, not just someday when you die, but now. Are you like the wayward disciple who once talked a good game, but who has since betrayed? Abandoned, denied, or fallen asleep on Jesus. Repent. Believe the good news. You can be restored to fellowship with your Lord. Are you like the nameless centurion? A man who may have heard some interesting things about Jesus before the crucifixion and upon seeing the cross, couldn't help but notice something different about this guy. Repent. Believe the good news. You will quickly learn that Jesus is so much greater than you even realize. Or are you like those two doubting, hurting, 
disappointed disciples on the road to Emmaus, fearing that darkness has won in the end and all your hopes have been dashed. Repent. Believe the good news. Whatever darkness it is you're inhabiting, remember that the story wasn't over for Jesus. It wasn't over for his disciples. And it isn't over for you. Leave your sin behind on the cross where it belongs. Where it is covered by Christ's blood. Place your faith, your trust, your dependence, your confidence in the crucified, resurrected, and one day returning Jesus. Be adopted into God's family. Be indwelt by God's spirit. And be enlisted in God's mission. You know, this isn't just another story invented by humans looking for meaning. Embraced by people who need a crutch to get through the ups and downs of life. Or marketed by Hallmark to make some extra cash between Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. This is the definitive, overarching, all-encompassing story of God, humanity, and our world that Christians around the world have been celebrating for some 2,000 years. So what role do you play in it? Where is your place in the orchestra? Because whether you believe it or not, you have a part in the symphony. In fact, your response to Jesus determines it. So repent. Believe the good news that Jesus died, rose, ascended, and will come again. In the Bible, that phrase, good news, is synonymous with the word gospel. We throw that word around a lot, but what exactly do we mean by the word gospel? The gospel is the story of the one true gracious God reconciling sinful people and a fallen world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Of course, the implications of this gospel are numerous. There's thousands of them. For more on that, you'll have to come to church more than just one day per year. Maybe next week. But whatever your story has been in the past, or is now, the story you've heard today, the story of the gospel, is the story. It's better than any other story ever written. It's better than any other narrative you've bought into. It's better than any symphony you've ever heard. It's the story that stretches into eternity. It's the story that you have a place in now and forever. So play your part. Pick up your instrument. Repent and believe the good news. Step out of the darkness of sin, death, and judgment. And live in the light of Jesus' resurrection. That's the end of the story. It's the end of our story, if we believe in him. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this story. I pray that no matter how many times we read it, no matter how many times we study it, no matter how many times we preach it, that this story would grab us just as much as it did the first time we heard it. I pray that even those of us who have been following Christ for decades at this point would still have our imaginations and our hearts and our minds captured by this story year in and year out. I also pray for those who haven't heard this story that many times. Those who have maybe heard caricatures of the story, bits and pieces, and wondered if it's true, wondered if it's real, wondered if it matters. I pray that every one of us in this room would leave here this morning knowing our part in this story, knowing the role that you've called us to play for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that the story did not end much sooner. Thank you that it didn't end in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and were cast away from your presence. That would have been an even darker story. Thank you that you kept working, that you kept writing, that you kept sending, that you kept intervening in this world that betrayed you, that didn't deserve your love, and yet was still loved by you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that Christ came, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose, Christ ascended. And thank you, Lord, that one day you will come again. I pray that you would find us faithful when you come. Help us be your people, be your followers until we see you, whether we die or whether you return, knowing that this is what we were made for. This is what we were created for, to love and know and serve and worship and enjoy you. I pray that we would do that this morning in the light of the resurrection and do it every day moving forward. We love you. We thank you that our sins are forgiven, that you are victorious over sin, death, Satan, judgment, worldly powers and authorities, and that by faith in you, we'll be victorious over those things as well. We love you. We ask this all in your name. Amen.